Sarge Bacon, mate, clearly on top. Arcadia Queen is running on. 200 to go. Russian Camelot has a race. Arcadia Queen coming at Russian Camelot. Russian Camelot, Arcadia Queen. Arcadia Queen, first look at 2000, is going to turn over Russian Camelot. Arcadia Queen, a link to the corner. I remember watching it back to them. This bike might be pretty smart, I reckon. Savannah Hood, the Leonard Sun, goes for the lead at the 200 metres, puts out a length and a half, two lengths, Vasilina, and extends the Autumn Sun, three or four lengths in front, a serious racehorse, the Autumn Sun, blazes in spring, bumps in six lengths. Hello and welcome to another episode of the Second Again podcast. I'm Nick, obviously joined by Jackson, and and this week it's pretty special. It's pretty special, isn't it, Jacko? We are we're honoured. We're honoured to have a guy, um, a guest on our podcast this week. He's a 26 year old. He was originally born in Ireland. Um, he moved over to Australia in 2016. Fair to say the man's got a few talents, more than one, um, which I'm sure we'll touch on later on. But he's a Group One winning jockey superstar singer and newly found father to a baby girl Robbie Dolan mate welcome to the second again podcast how are you I thought I had a big head that intro is after making me something <laughs> <laughs> the world or something <laughs> <laughs> well uh we'll, we'll send you an invoice after the podcast mate no dramas absolutely <laughs> <laughs> mate just want to ask you how the last few weeks have been obviously Ned mentioned you've welcomed a baby girl into the world um, the, the music career's taken off as well, which is awesome. You know, almost running two lives at the same time, which is just so interesting. We've also noticed as well that the the probably the bookings and, and the rides have probably died down just a little bit over the last few weeks. Is that something that's sort of consciously happened on your end? Are you looking to sort of take a step back? And how the last few months been for yourself? Yeah, um, if, it's been a bit crazy, you know, the last few months. Uh, like you said, there's been a lot going on, um, you know, at home and 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 professionally um i have taken a step back from racing a little bit but um that being said i'm hoping to sort of get back into swinging things in the next month or so so you'll hopefully see me uh, riding a lot more um it's just i i sort of lost my passion for a little bit and uh just sort of needed a little bit of a break to sort of you know reignite the flame i suppose and um sort of riding track work and stuff again now I'm feeling a lot more a uh, lot more refreshed and a lot a lot happier to be back riding and uh, you know if the trainers want to put me on I'll uh, try and do as good a job as I can but um yeah no it's hopefully hopefully be back riding soon do you feel like that passion can get lost because there is just so much racing over here and you find that you, you can end up riding on four to five days a week do you think that's a big part of it like it seems to be a lot of work for guys either coming through the ranks or, or whatever, like, do you think that's a big part of it? Yeah, it's, it can be a part of it, you know, but if, uh, like, I, I think any jockey in the room will tell you, like, it's not really a, it's not a, a job, so to speak. It's sort of a life, you know, you don't really go into it looking throughout the week saying, oh, you know, this is going to be, it's going to be a tough week. There's five race meetings this week. You look into it going, this, I hope I can get a winner here. This is how many winners I hope I can get here and there. And you're just sort of looking for the best outcome every day. You go to work. It's never really, you know, how much it's going to take a toll on you, really. And I don't think that's till later on in your career when 
you know you're old and whatnot and you're sort of realize how much of uh toll it is actually taken on you um but for me personally it wasn't that got to do with being overworked or anything like that i just sort of you know so to speak i've done everything i wanted to achieve and then i just sort of got like you know it's sort of hard to really top what i i i i i've done you know obviously you know i didn't win a melbourne cup or a slipper and like that or a champion jockey but to me my goal was always to win a group one and then when i won that it was sort of like everything else after that was just trying to win another group one and then you know it was just like i just need to sort of step away to reignite the flame that i had when i was a little kid that wanted to be a jockey in the first place absolutely you've obviously achieved heaps which is awesome. And I can imagine, because you're a reasonably tall jockey too, you're 170, you're above 170 centimetres. So even cutting weight, like that must be draining to try and get down to certain weights all the time. Yeah, it is. Uh, I, look, I'm very lucky in the sense that I never actually have to lose weight. I've probably, I, I have a bath every night, but it's not going to do with losing weight. It's more, um, <laughs> it's a refreshing thing. But, um, <laughs> So does Jacko. Right. He loves the tub. It's yeah. pretty funny. I'd have a beer sitting in the bath at night and some of the other boys are sweating and they haven't had a drink of water in like two weeks. So, uh, right. yeah, you know, it's very good in a sense. Like I can get lightweight rides and join carnivals and stuff like that. And, uh, you know, you know, you're going to a race meeting with a full belly and uh, you're hydrated. Some of the other boys don't have that privilege. So, yeah, very lucky in that sense. Absolutely. We're obviously loving having you over here, but I think good opportunity to get a little bit of background on your story as well. So you're obviously born and raised in Ireland. We're there pretty much for your whole teen, teen, teen years and stuff. So school, university, what was the story for, for R. Dolan while he was over there? Uh, I, I went to school until I was about 16, 17, I think. And then I left and went and joined the... Uh, apprentice school the racing academy over there it's a lot different they have an academy where you basically go and learn how to ride horses you know you learn everything from this from scratch about horses and um, i think it was about 60 70 people applied for the course and you do a sort of a trial week um and then after the trial week 30 people get accepted and you do a nine-month course in there and they basically teach you everything from scratch and anyway we got accepted and done the nine months and then they place you with a trainer after that and you sort of you basically start working as a stable hand and work your way up to being an apprentice and like it's something that they really lack i think in australia i've spoke to a lot of people about it before like if they just opened up an apprentice school you know like from my course it was 32 people on my course and not everyone is going to be a jockey i'd say probably two or three of us are still jockeys but I'd say 95% of the people on the course are still working in the racing industry, whether it be trainers, stable hands, you know, vets, anything like that. And that's something that going forward with the way the world is going, I think if we don't make a change, there's going to be nobody to work with the horses. And in 10 years time, we're going to be really struggling. So it's something maybe to look forward. Yeah, definitely. It's probably something that the Aussie scene needs to have a look at a lot more. And um, obviously just mentioned as well that the grassroots and that entry level over in Europe is probably a lot better. And Australia's got a lot to learn from that standpoint. But what about the racing itself and the standard of racing between, let's say, Ireland and Sydney? What's your thoughts on how the form stacks up um, for both those sort of scenes there? Yeah, look, they're so, like, they're so different, you know, like it's very hard to compare racing 
you know, you'll never be able to properly compare European racing to Australian races because it's such a long distance away from each other. So any horse that has to travel is always going to have a disadvantage. And, um, you know, unless they're here for a long time, you see lots of them European stairs coming over. It takes them a while to sort of hit their strides, you know. And um, But I think, you know, it's, it's pretty obvious the Australian sprinters are superior and um, the European stayers are superior. It's just the way they're bred and it's bloodlines going back many years. Um, but I think, you know, me personally now, since I've come to Australia, I just absolutely love watching the Australian race and there's just such a hype about it. Um, and, you know, the European racing is great as well, but it's mainly on the big days. It's great to watch, but you can go and watch any sort of race meeting over here. Um, and it's just such a, it's such an entertainment, uh, an entertaining time. Like, um, but yeah, it's like I said, it's kind of hard to compare the two, but me personally, uh, I think the Australian racing is superior in a lot of ways. Yeah, definitely. I think ju- just, just the spectacle of it as well. And the, the colors and the, the hype, like you say, and, you know, I think it's the punting, that sort of punting lifestyle and the whole sort of um, the stigma around the punting in Australia. It's just what everyone does apparently. So yeah, mate, I d- definitely agree there. I want to ask you as well about your experience coming over to Australia as as a guy in his young 20s coming over in sort of 2016. And you didn't actually get your first ride until 2017. So there's a fair bit of a gap in between there. I think it was something around a citizenship and and getting a mentor and and getting up and running from that standpoint. I wanted to ask you about how those first few months were when you first came over and and the role that Mark Newnham and and Wayne Harris played in in getting you up and running. Yeah, I came over in... September 2016, I went to Melbourne initially and I went to uh, John Sadler and uh, Sad sort of taught me, you know, how to sort of count my times on horses and the way it sort of works in Australia. I watched a lot of Australian racing and stuff and uh, tried to get my license initially um, in Melbourne and uh, have a bit of a waiting list for their apprentice school. So that went out the window um, and basically went to Sydney and started riding freelance at Warwick Farm. Um, you know, I was riding sort of 15, 20 horses a morning and just absolutely loved it. You know, the weather was beautiful. It was just, I was getting like five times the amount of money over here working mornings only than I was in Ireland working full time. And it was just, you know, I was absolutely loving it. Like just, you know, riding track work in the morning, going, having breakfast, having a sleep, going to the pub, playing golf it was just unbelievable <laughs> absolutely loved it might have to take uh, up being a jockey jacko <laughs> no, that wasn't even being a jockey it was just riding riding track work in the just morning track work <laughs> um you know and then sort of I, I i always had in the back of my mind like the reason the whole reason i came over here was to be an apprentice like i was apprentice in ireland and uh, i just was waiting for the right trainer to, like there was a couple of trainers who approached me and i sort of waited and um, I just said, look, I'll, you know, I'll just sort of count my options and see how I go. And and then Mark was just starting out at the time. And uh, he had like probably 10 horses, probably maybe a little bit more. And he said, oh, you know, would you be interested in riding a bit of work for me? And I rode one, one from that morning. And then the next day I rode like six for him. And then I could sort of see like, you know, the horses I was riding for other trainers were sort of getting less and less. And. I was writing a lot more for Mark, writing work. And then he eventually approached me and asked me, did I want to be apprentice? And uh, I said, yeah. And he said, Gran, you're working this afternoon. 
So that was <laughs> bang. pretty much it. Away you went, away you went. Mate, I've got to ask you as well, you mentioned the golf as well. You're obviously a lot busier of a bloke now than, than when you were back then. Are you still making it out to the course these days? Are you shooting off scratch? What's the story? I haven't played golf in ages. Mm. I, I got injured last year and I haven't played golf since before that. But uh, I do drink at the local golf course, so that's the closest I'll get to it. <laughs> <So, okay>. Yeah. <laughs> I started playing golf last year and it's safe to say I haven't played played much golf. I pretty much just drink up in the clubhouse as well, to be honest. <laughs> yeah. That's the only fun part of golf. I think that's how it was started, man. A couple of drunk lads just hitting the ball with a stick into a hole. Yeah, straight onto the 19th <laughs> it is, hole. It is such a ridiculous sport. 500 metres with a white ball and a, a stick and you're trying to get it there in four shots. It's Fuck, it's frustrating. It's um, not as ridiculous as people riding horses and trying to sweat and lose weight. <laughs> You're not wrong. Imagine having people bet on it as well. It's yeah, unbelievable. That'd be even worse. Now, you mentioned, obviously, Mark Newton before. I want to take you back to victory anthems. Now, correct us if we're wrong. The race was at Nowra. First ride, Robbie Dolan in the country. You go one from one aboard this thing. You must have been thinking, "Fuck, how easy? How easy is this over here?" Yeah, it was. It was a good day. I remember we got the horse from Darren Weirs, and it was absolutely labelless. And um, you know, it couldn't win a gallop. And but he was such a sweet horse, and he, you know, he was he was such a cool ride. And I used to ride him every morning. And then, you know, he started to get fitter and fitter. And we stuck a set of blinkers on him, and he couldn't breathe very well so he put a tongue tie on him and just messed around with a few things and I started leading the gallops on him and he started winning his few of his gallops and and uh, then we done a jump out at Warwick Farm and um, he actually won his jump out really well I just sent him to the front and he won the jump out and, and then we were thinking you know he might just be the way forward from this blinkers on straight to the front just let him keep keep him rolling so I was riding him like sort of a European horse and that's sort of what Mark said you know just ride him like you would ride something in Ireland so I just done that and like the horse was not good but I ended up winning five races on him because he was just honest and um it was all you really that's what you're trying to tell us it was quite quite funny for the it was quite funny for his first ever trial it was my first trial too and I didn't know what the hell a trial was and I thought it was just you know Mark basically just said it's a race but there's no prize money and it's about fitness and stuff like that. And he just said, look, go out and ride it like, ride him like a race. You know, he's going to go to the races after one trial. So, you know, lead on him and just give him a squeeze up the straight. I end up winning the trial by like 25 lengths. <laughs> Did you pull the stick on him? I hopped off him in the trial. I didn't know what was going on. I thought it was a race. I looked behind me. I thought it was after riding fucking the Jinsky. Giving a salute and, to the uh, stewards, everything. The stewards asked Mark, was he supposed to do that? And Mark's like, yep. Yeah. And uh, yeah, pretty much. The horse was used like he was such an honest horse. Not saying he was useless. He won. He won me five races, and he'll always be a, have a place in my heart. But um, he was a limited horse, and uh, he should have been twenty to one his first start. Um, only for he won his trial by twenty lengths. He went off like two dollars favorite, <laughs> but he won. He won very easily. <laughs> oh, twenty five lengths. Oh, jeez, the the owners would be filthy with you. Jeez. Well, they were delighted because they didn't get him for a lot of money and he ended up winning five races and he probably yeah. would have won more when he got injured. So 
Yeah, absolutely. Absolutely. Well, mate, you mentioned before about the pinnacle of racing being that group one win. And obviously want to talk to you about a couple of yours and obviously talking about the superstar Cole Profundo for Richard Litt made an absolute mess of them in the spring champion stakes last year. And the other horse, which we just can't forget, he just seemed to be the story of the, of the, um, the autumn this year, Shelby 66, mate, what a story for this horse. Like got beaten in the Sapphire coast class two, and then goes on to win a galaxy in the same prep. I don't know if that's ever been done. So pretty insane, that story, mate. I want to talk to you about how both those opportunities came up and what your feelings were for both of them. Yeah, it was, you know, they both, they both were very different. Um, Profondo has come about uh, sort of by fluke. Well, they both sort of come about by fluke, but that's just the way it is. You know, sometimes you just get lucky. Yeah. Um, uh, I was injured. I got injured for a couple of months and uh, it was right during the middle of COVID when all the jockeys had to be segregated into the city. And uh, I live out West away from the city and I wasn't riding. And um, I had just come back riding work. So I was starting to ride work at Warwick Farm where I live and there was no jockeys there riding work because everyone was in the city. So basically there was no jockeys to gallop any of the horses. And um, I started riding a bit of work for Richard Litt and obviously Profondo was just nobody you know obviously they paid a lot of money for him but he didn't do he hadn't had a trial or anything like that and uh, we started to do a bit of work on him and uh yeah like he was just an absolute freak um just some of the some of the gallops he does at home is just scary and i made sure that i you basically had to move into the city with a, like 10 days notice and then you could ride because of covid and shit so um Basically, I was riding him work all the way along for like a month, done his few trials on him. And then I moved into the city 10 days before his race, his maiden. And my first ride back from injury after like four months off was on Profondo on his maiden. And then he won. And then obviously after that, it sort of took off. He was second in the group race. He should have won. And then obviously went, wins the spring champion. But uh, that's how that group one came about. It's just... Sort of by fluke that there was no other jockeys around and it was just me and I sort of just stuck with the horse and the owners were very good to keep me on him, you know. Mm-hmm. And that, so that cool. day that day he got beat, I think it was um the Waller horse, head of state, that day he got beat, I think it was the start before the spring champion. It just looked like he was home and then he completely laid in about 14, 15 lengths into the fence that day. Did he have a few problems? Was he a little bit, you know, not not all there in the head? Um, was there talks of maybe gelding this the, the cold or, or what was the story there? 1.8 million. Those balls were worth plenty. I reckon they would have done a few of them. Yeah, they're worth a lot more than mine, I tell you that much. Um, <laughs> I, don't, I don't think there was ever talks of gelding him after that. You know, it's just it's just one of them things. That's racing, man. I was, you mm. know, I, it's happened a million times before and it'll happen happen again. Um it loomed up like the winner pulled a stick on him and he got he shied at my stick and um you know he, he shied away and like people don't realize these horses are going off you know 45 kilometers an hour like something like that happens it's very hard for them to recover it's mm. very hard for the jockey to recover mm. as well like it happens mm. fast and, mm. uh, obviously went down a, a head or whatever and uh you know if he if he stays straight he wins by four and he's a dollar 80 for the spring champion or whatever but mm shit happens you know like that's just that's racing like it's it's these are animals and 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 animals have a mind of their own if horses knew their own strength we wouldn't be able to ride them so it's just the way it is 
Yeah, definitely. Well, we we're not complaining, mate. We got a better price next start in the uh, in the spring champion, so we cashed in. No dramas there, mate. I've got to ask you as well. Shelby sixty six. Like, what a story for this horse, mate. Like, from like I say, from getting beaten a class two to winning a galaxy um, in the same prep is just amazing. Riders like T Berry, um, Tim Clark, McAvoy all rode him throughout the campaign. All of a sudden, R Dolan hops on and bang, gets the cash in a Group One. Talk to us about how that one came up. Yeah, it's just a it's a crazy story. It was it was faith, I suppose. It was like um, you know, um I watched him when he when he chased down Nature Strip and ran second uh to Eduardo in that race, um, whatever it was. And I would actually watch that right after I rode Profondo in Melbourne and he ran off the track with me. And um I remember thinking, geez, that's just mental. Like, how can that horse just run down Eduardo with them sections? Like, good sections too. Like, it wasn't it wasn't a fluke, you know? Horses don't just run them sections, like, for no reason. Um, and then, obviously, won the Morris McCartan next start. And he was, like, I think he was first He was first emergency for the Galaxy. But he had to be supplemented. And I didn't have a ride in the Galaxy. Um, and I text my manager, like, about 20 seconds after he won the Morris McCartan. And I said, um, uh, Shelby 66 Galaxy, question mark. And he basically just rang me back like an hour later and said that we chased up and they have us in mind. And if he gets a run, hopefully we can ride him. But it's not sure if they're going to supplement him yet or whatever. And sure enough, um, I just ended up getting the ride on him. And, and um, yeah, he just went on to win the race it was it was it was a bit crazy you know because it was sort of happened really fast in a sense that um i was taking off profondo probably the same day or the day before and i was really down in the dumps or whatever and uh, then that horse won and we we got the ride on him and uh, i was talking to tommy berry like two two days before and uh, he told me that he'd be a really good chance in the race that he was absolutely flying and stuff like that and so I went there with a bit of confidence and Danny was confident. And it's funny, like my old horse, Blintex, who I won a group two on and cooked a lot of races on, he was a horse that scratched that actually got me to race. Um, he was first emergency. So another sort of faith, I suppose. But yeah, that's how that one came about. So cool. So cool. And probably a little benefit of being able to ride at those lighter weights too, which is really, really cool. Look, the group ones are great. They're fantastic. And you probably use those vocal cords to scream a few few horses over the line. But you can put them to another use, Robbie. And that's the most amazing thing about you. You've got multiple talents. The singing, where did it all start? Have you been singing since you were in the shower when you were three? Or is it a newly found sort of talent and, and love that you've got? Yeah, it's pretty random. Uh, I, you know, I've been... Uh, I, I, I used to sing when I was a lot when I was a kid, you know, on the at sort of family parties and acting the bollocks or whatever, but, um, Again, you know, Jacko. <laughs> we done, um, we done uh, school plays when I was a kid and, uh, I really enjoyed them. And I sort of had a, in my mindset that I sort of wanted to be an actor and a singer. And then I, you know, I got to that stage where I fell in love with horses and racing took over my life. And it wasn't until like during COVID lockdowns last year that, um, I got. Uh, I actually applied for the voice last year, but 
I didn't have the right visa. I, I got an email to apply and I ended up applying, but I didn't have the right visa. And then they emailed me again, the middle of last year, just asked me that I have, a right, have the right visa. And sure enough, I, I sent it in. Um, basically they seen, they seen me singing on the, um, uh, I think it was the, yeah, what was it? What was the name of that show? It was called Behind the, Behind, Beyond the Barriers or something. It was like a, a racing show. And me and Mark Noonan went on and we were just chatting and um, basically the presenter said, oh, Mark told me you can sing a little bit. And he played like Desperados back in track and I sang it and it went a little bit viral. <laughs> and uh, then, yeah, the, obviously the people from The Voice, the producers from The Voice seen it and that's when they asked me to, to go on the show. And uh, yeah, pretty much I, I didn't really... I was actually injured at the time as well. And it was like, well, what else am I going to do? I might as well just apply and see what happens. So I applied. You get you like, there's a lot of stages before you even are considered to even go on the stage. You know, there's like 35,000 people that have that applied and they have to sort of whittle down who's going to be on the TV show and whatnot. So I just kept getting through each round. I get an email back each week, like, Oh, congratulations. And this is what you have to do. Send in this video on this video. And then, another week later passing like you're true to the next stage and i was like what the hell is even going on like and then um you know i was invited in to sort of meet the producers and stuff like that and i didn't realize what the hell was going on until like two minutes after i was on the stage i was like holy shit what just happened (laughs) so cool so cool um now obviously we don't want to lose you we do not want to lose you whatsoever from the racing industry but if there's a time where the juggling of both sort of careers comes to an end and you've got to pick one of the two, I don't want to force you to pick, but is there a direction you think you'd head? I suppose um, it lasts longer, doesn't it? You can do it for a little bit longer. So maybe that's the choice. Yeah. You know, there's a lot, there's a lot involved in both. Like it's hard to, it's hard to really make a decision because I'm not going to be, um, not going to be a jockey forever, but also you're very reliant on your performances as a singer and stuff as well. You know, um, you know, you can do gigs and stuff like that and make make a nice bit of money. But I've always been one to sort of try and be the best of myself that I can. So if if I'm going to try and be a singer, I'm going to try and fucking release music and it, to do very well. So I don't want to just be a pub singer and go and sing at weddings and you know, sort of have an easy wage. I suppose if that was the case, I'd have an easy wage as a jockey and just go and ride somewhere and not with a lot of pressure, you know? So yeah. I, I do have a lot of music that I've been working on and uh, we just recorded my first ever song um, like two days ago in Melbourne. So um, it's been edited right now. So we'll probably release that and see how it goes. And if it does well, we'll have another one that's ready to go. And um. You know, I'd love to have a sort of a fan base and I suppose and just see how we go. But I couldn't pick between the two of them, but um, I'll try and do as, the both of them as best I can. Uh, I mean, last Saturday I rode in a whatever list race or whatever at Randwick and then got in the car and drove straight to the English and supported Daryl Braithwaite. So I was, wow. you know, I, <laughs> can do the best of both worlds i suppose at the moment so we'll see what happens 
And once yeah, once the music does sort of um, does drop, where can we find you, mate? Is it going to be come up on Spotify, iTunes? What's the plan there? Yeah, it'll be Spotify. Okay. You know, all the sort of streaming platforms, Spotify, iTunes, hopefully YouTube, um, try and get some music videos out and stuff like that. But uh, it's pretty random. A lot of people don't realize what the hell it's all about until they sort of see one of my shows. And, you know, obviously I've got, um, guitarist and uh, you know drummer and a bass player and stuff like that and you know I've had a lot of people sort of say to me you know they thought I was just you know gonna sing Let It Go and Desperado and that was it <laughs> <laughs> what it was all about but I'd like I'd like to sort of prove people that I'm not just suppose um, doing it for the fun so yeah no that's awesome well there you go guys for the listeners, make sure you give Robbie a listen if you get a chance on Spotify when he starts uploading some songs. He does do more than two songs. He's just let us know. He's multi-talented, this man. Um, look, we've got a few questions that we ask all of the people that we have on, all our guests. Um, and they're obviously just, they're just some really quick rapid fire questions. The first question, so we usually keep this to just two horses, but we thought we'd make it a little bit of a European edition for you as well. So the question is, Winks, Versus caviar, black caviar versus Frankel. You got to pick one. Who, who's your pick of the three? Uh, Frankel for me. Knew it. I knew you. Knew it. These that. Europeans, oh. mate. They they they're always biased. I seen Frankel one day, and man, it was just uh, nothing like him. He was a freak. Obviously, Winks and black caviar freaks as well, but. I don't know. I think there was just something about him in the whole story with Henry Cecil as well. It was just sort of as if he was a, a horse sent from the gods, I suppose. But mm. he was something else. He, he used to just like, if you, if you actually read Henry Cecil's book and he's talking about um, Franco as a two-year-old, when they first discovered him, he was beating all these two-year-olds by like 25 lengths on the bridle and he was just an absolute aeroplane. Mm. You know, it's it's funny uh, how all of these good horses like have such stage names. Like I was just thinking about them. Like Frankel's name was never going to be a shit name. Like it was always going to be some superstar name. Like it's so imposing. Like you got Winks, Caviar, and Frankel. Like they just fucking sound like superstars. Unbelievable. Victory. Yeah, and I think I think what he's what he's gone on to do as a sire as well just adds to the whole mystique of of what that horse was like unbeaten in fourteen starts, just freakish. So fair enough, mate. We 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 want to believe there's a bit of bias there, but there might be a bit of truth in there as well. So, mate, fair play to you. Just in terms of trainers, so you mentioned Mark Newnham, uh, Richard Lit, we've we've spoken about as well, and John Sadler was the first bloke that you um that you had a connection with coming over. Who gives the best spray as a trainer? And is there one that comes to mind as a pretty good spray as you, you got legged off a horse? Um, I think John O'Shea gave me a couple of sprays when I was apprentice. Um, he's the sort of person, you know, he'd give you a, a proper spray and you'd be shook for a couple <laughs> of races. But the next day, he'd, uh, you know, the next day he'd talk to you like a, like a man. You know, he wouldn't, he wouldn't hold any grudges and that's something to definitely be admirable uh, admirable of but uh yeah there was one time at Canterbury he gave me a spray and I watched the race over like 80 times and I still didn't know why I done wrong <laughs> 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 but, 
<laughs> Rent free. I think I think Brody Lloyd said the same thing. I think he said that O'Shea yeah, dishes him. O'Shea dishes him out. He's, he did say, yep. I'm not I'd be the same. If I was a trainer, I'd be an absolute wanker. <laughs> I'd be spraying left, right, and center. Absolutely. You wonder how the owners feel sometimes as well. It must be worse. Um, so in terms of obviously coming over, being from an, an, a foreign place, you move over here. We want to know who have you sort of aligned yourself with in the jockey rooms? Who have you become good friends with? And there's got to be a few pests in those change rooms. Like, talk to us. Who who needs a genuine tongue tie in there, mate? Um, I've sort of become pally with, you know, Tom Sherry, association with Mark as well. And um, John Van Overmere, Keegan Latham, our sort of partners all hang out together. So I suppose we're um, good mates. Um, as for tongue ties, I don't know. I'm, Jimmy, Jimmy Innes is an absolute mm-hmm. legend, but... He tells some stories. I swear, if you're um, in the jockey's room with him and he starts telling stories, everyone will listen because his stories are. He should be. He should be the next David Attenborough or something. His stories are incredible. <laughs> and we have heard that name a few times as well. We've heard Jimmy Innes a few times. Regan Bayless gets tossed around a fair yeah. bit as well. So Regan, yeah, yeah, definitely. Um, we we've said before as well. Me and Jacko both play sport, so we're very superstitious people i'm superstitious with my punting everything's got to be in check i've got a new superstition actually i get haircuts on fridays before i play footy on the saturday now that's apparently a thing yourself have you got are you a superstitious person on the before a big race day is it before every race day on game day what's sort of what's the things that make you tick if you've got any i am really superstitious and it's kind of ridiculous um I'll have a I'll have a can of monster, and if I if I don't have a can of monster, I feel like I'm not going to be able to perform properly. <laughs> and then I wear two pairs of goggles all the time. That's another one that I feel if I if I miss a pair of goggles, that I'll uh, won't be able to win a race, I suppose. Um, and yeah, pretty much just things like that. If I if I win a race or a pair of goggles, I'll try and use them again. So, yeah, it's kind of. Just, mate, the, it's the, probably many years of getting up at three o'clock in the morning just made taking <laughs> taking a toll on me <laughs> the big monster cans too i'm sure i'm sure they look like that the, the breakfast yeah. of champions <laughs> mate you wouldn't need a bloody four or five pairs of goggles going through the, the fucking autumn the amount of rain that was about take the snorkel out take the flippers everything mate it's fucking insane it just never stopped windscreen wipers mm. windscreen wipers everything Mate, just want to ask you as well, talking about the, the you know, away from racing a little bit. Obviously, you grew up in Ireland, now in Sydney. How does the nightlife stack up? So we asked you about the racing scene. How does that sort of stack up? You gave us probably, you know, Sydney's probably still got it over the over the Europeans. But what about the nightlife, mate? The pub scene, you obviously had a few gigs now these days up up in the, in the Sydney pubs. How does the nightlife stack up between the two? Yeah, um, I think... You know, where I'm from, I grew up in a small town and everybody knew everybody. So and it was sort of Friday, Saturday, Sunday. Everybody went out all the time, all weekend. Friday, Saturday, Sunday, the nightclubs were booming. But during the week, there was nobody in the pubs. You know, everyone's working. Um, you know, I might go for a quiet one later on. But I've noticed in Australia, it's sort of every day is like a pub day. Yeah. And um, <laughs> but the, the nightclubs here no match 
they're they're incredible. Mm. Um, the Irish nightclubs are are no match for for the Australians. Mm. Um, you know, some of the nightclubs they have in the city and stuff like that are insane. So, yeah, definitely the nightlife in in Australia is a lot better. So, so when you have a big day out at the track, like. What are you doing? Where are you heading to for a big night? Or are you just going out for a nice meal? Are you having a few glasses of red at home? Like what's what's Robbie Dolan do after he's ridden seven on the card? I don't really um ride seven on the card. I I don't know, it depends. You know, you could Robbie Dolan five years ago might be going out drinking, but I think Robbie Dolan now would probably go home and cook dinner and uh chill out and have a few beers at home but uh i i I just i never i've never been one to really go and get absolutely messed up and be out for three days you know i i think um a a nice dinner and a few drinks will do me very sensible we like sensible Absolutely, mate. Well, you mentioned your, your group one wins as some highlights of your career. Is there something else that comes to your mind as your as your best memory at the track, or is it probably just your, your first group one win and maybe even that, that win on Shelby that day? Yeah, I think winning Champion Apprentice was something that I always wanted to do and I didn't think I'd ever be able to do. So to win that was like um, any young apprentice, it's it's their dream to be Champion Apprentice. And uh, I think the first one when I had Sam Sam Weatherly in the title, he was apprenticed to Chris Waller, and there was such a boom about Sam, unbelievable rider, and uh, he was like twenty wins ahead of me, come like February, and um, you know I remember coming down to towards like uh, I think it was a Canterbury night meeting, and he was um, he was I think he was two wins ahead of me going into the night meeting and I rode four winners that night. So I ended up being two behind the two in front. And I remember that, that night I was thinking, oh, I have it. This is it. Game over. So end up winning that. And that was such a massive thrill because I really worked hard for it. And then, you know, obviously the next year I won it again. But I think just to win it once was such a, a thrill. And any young apprentice who's applying their trade uh, definitely dreams of being champion apprentice. So that was some that I'm very proud of. Unreal, mate. Unreal. Well, it's been an absolute pleasure having you on, mate. But before we let you go, I just want to sort of understand what the next sort of three, four months look like for our Dolan. We've obviously got spring carnival around the corner. Things are starting to heat up on that standpoint. Are you starting to step up the riding a little bit more over the next few weeks? Or you've obviously got the, the songs coming out and it's looking to step up the music career as well a little bit. What's your plans over the next few months, mate? Any horses that you're, you're keen on at, at track work and trials and that sort of thing that you're excited about? Or are we looking to sort of um, stick with the same tempo we're at at the moment? Oh, you'll see. You'll see. Hopefully now, fingers crossed, you'll see me riding a lot more um, come the next month or so. Um, you know, as long as the trainers want to put me on, I'll keep riding. And, uh, you know, with the carnivals coming around, there'll be lots of lightweight rides and uh, hopefully I'll be getting on a few of them. See Shelby was back trialing again, and uh, you know he's actually. Although he's, people think he's just a country horse that was lucky to win a Group One, he actually is a talented horse. He just has a lot of problems, and I think if Danny can get him right, there might be another Group race from there somewhere. It doesn't have to be a Group One, but you never know what happens. Horses have met a fool of people before, and they'll do it again. Mm. Um, but yeah, just sort of trying to release the music. 
hopefully within the next two months, see how that goes and we'll just keep racing as well. So just go with the flow, I suppose. Supposed to be a bit of a, a wet spring too. So that's always suits Shelby. So maybe if he gets a few wet tracks, you never know. He might be a chance to win another big one. Um, mate, good luck with everything. We just wish you all the best with all your music, all your racing. It's been such a pleasure to have you on. Um, obviously just a superstar and we've loved seeing your rise up here in Sydney and, and hope to see you racing in the ranks for a few more years. And sure, we'll be hearing your voice on 106.5 in no time. So, mate, massive thank you to you and, and, and hope you have a good one. No worries, lads. Thank you very much. Thank you, Thanks, Robbie. Robbie.